Good morning, Deep Run family. This morning we will be reading from the English Standard Version. Um, If you're here with us and you find that you need a Bible, there are some on the table in the back. And if you're joining us online and find that you need one, uh, just reach out to one of us and we'll make make a way to get it to you. Um, Please join with me in reading from John chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend to my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he will remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that his disciple was not to die, 
Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is the word of the Lord. So we're concluding today John's Gospel. We've been at it for almost a year, about nine months. I, I, I could not slip it in before the sabbatical started, uh, but it was too important of a conclusion to just let it go. So we're going to look at it today. John's Gospel, this, this very intimate account of Jesus Christ written by his beloved disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, and so much of John's gospel, as we've seen over the last year, has been about personal belief. Have you noticed that? In chapter 1, way back in the beginning in verse 12, it said that to all who received Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And we've seen chapter after chapter, not only how the Son of God entered into the human experience, but he entered into personal stories. He met with women and men. He not only entered into humanity's story, he entered into our stories, your story, mine. And really, in a way, the, the whole John series for the last several months has been about this invitation, this challenge to believe in Jesus and to rediscover your own story in light of his story. A rediscovery, who am I in light of who Jesus is? How do I understand my story? How do I tell my story or retell my own story in light of the story of Jesus Christ? And that's really what our focus has been on for a year. Belief in the 21st century. What does it mean to believe in Jesus and to follow him? And I've actually titled this epilogue, all of chapter 21, Catch and Restore. Because while the disciples are once again catching fish, Jesus catches them. But it's not a catch and release. He restores Peter. He doesn't release Peter for Peter's sin and recent denial. He restores him. And you know, without that direct, personal, gracious confrontation between the risen Jesus Christ and Peter, Simon Peter, son of John, Without that unique confrontation between the two of them, Peter would have never become the Peter that history is familiar with. And you know, without a similar confrontation with Jesus, neither will you. Neither will I become the person that Jesus intends me to be. Unless we confront Jesus face to face with what we have been through, we will not be the people that God intends us to be. And today, this is the idea that in coming to know Jesus better, we come to better know ourselves. I want to talk about knowing Jesus better. Where, however long you've known him, knowing him better. And something equally important, knowing yourself, knowing ourselves. Just as much as we attempt to know God, knowing ourselves. And I want to talk about the how we discover grace in that process. Talking about knowing God better, knowing ourselves better at the same time, 
And the grace that we discover in that process as we walk through our lives following Jesus, believing in Him. So knowing Jesus better comes in stages throughout our lives, doesn't it, if you followed Him for quite a while? You don't discover all of Him all at once, but He's a person. He's a God who is a person. And so we discover Him more and more. We get to know Him better as we walk with Him. And that was true for these disciples. They've spent, think about where they are right now. They have spent three years with Him. Three years of ministering to people. Three years of being taught by Him, ministered to by Him. They have just endured this traumatic crucifixion. They have just endured this astounding, unbelievable, world-changing resurrection. And still we see in John's Gospel that they have more to learn about their Savior Jesus, their rabbi. Even here at this moment, after the resurrection, they're experiencing more, they're learning more about what it means to believe in God's Son, what it means to follow Jesus. So you may have noticed this is, the, the passage tells us this is now the third time that Jesus has appeared to them. They've already seen him twice in Jerusalem, if you look back at chapter 20. But now where are they? They're back, in, they're back in their own stomping grounds. They're back, not in Jerusalem, but to the north in the region of Galilee, by the Sea of Galilee. John calls it the, uh, the, the, lake, of, the lake of Gennesaret. Um, or, sorry, the Sea of Tiberias. It's the Sea of Galilee. They're back where they used to live and where they used to work. right? And what are they doing? They're doing what they've always done. They're fishing. And they're doing something else they've always done, not catching anything all night, right? They're back to their old profession. They're back to their stomping grounds. You know, now, we shouldn't judge them for that as though they had this tremendous lack of faith. Like, Jesus just rose from the dead, and, and what are you, you, you're fishing again? You went home? Well, we shouldn't judge them for that. You have to remember, those of you Bible nerds, that Jesus has not yet commissioned them to make disciples of all nations. He hasn't ascended into heaven yet. And it's not the book of Acts yet where the Holy Spirit comes down upon the apostles and empowers them to make disciples of all nations. This is a waiting period. They've gone back to what they know. And if you read Matthew and Mark, Jesus told them to go back to Galilee. So let's not judge them for fishing again. And let's feel a little sorry for them that it's been an entire evening and they haven't caught anything. But Jesus, Jesus finds them up there and miraculously helps them with this whale of a catch, right? And, and then two things happen. John, the more perceptive one, says, hey, it's the Lord. Like one, you know, he's off on shore. They're 100 yards out. They can't see who it is. But then the, the whale of a catch happens, and John insightfully goes, it's the Lord. And then Peter, impetuous Peter, what, ju- like jumps out of the boat They've got to haul all that fish, and he just jumps, jumps out of the boat and swims 100 yards to get to Jesus. It, it makes me think of, you know, Forrest Gump, when, when he's on the Bubba Gump shrimp boat, and he notices Lieutenant Dan, who he hasn't, his army buddy from Vietnam, he hasn't seen in a long time. Lieutenant Dan is waiting for him in a wheelchair on the dock, and Forrest sees him, and it, Tom Hanks did a great job of capturing the joy you have when you see somebody you love that you haven't seen in a long time. And Forrest jumps off the boat as it's sailing. The boat crashes into the dock, and Forrest swims as fast as he can to see Lieutenant Dan. Right? Such excitement draws Peter, unashamed Peter, 
into the water to find Jesus. It's like David dancing without any clothes on before God back in 2 Samuel. Right? If you are a Christian, you know what that feels like, right? That, that uh, you often want your faith to feel like Peter jumping out of the boat to get to Jesus. You will drop anything you're doing to be with your Savior. And so uh, Peter gets there. The other disciples finally get the the boat to shore, and, and they all get out. They come to shore, and they hear these words. They hear Jesus say to them, come and have breakfast. And I've thought about it. I really hope I hear those words when I meet Jesus. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and have some breakfast. That just sounds great to me. The risen, the think about it. This is the risen Son of God making them breakfast. The creator of the universe, risen from the dead, making them breakfast. And they, they find after a long night of bad fishing, right? they find a crackling fire, they find roasting fish, and they find some bread. Delicious, right? That, this is the Son of God cooking them breakfast. They're like hobbits. Jesus and his disciples are enjoying a well-cooked breakfast, some fish and bread over a fire after their many, many adventures. And more adventures would come, right? If you're familiar with the rest of the New Testament and the book of Acts, many adventures would continue for the apostles. Great adventures, joyful ones terrifying adventures. Some of them would be in prison. Some of them would lose their their lives. And the world would ever be changed by their adventures. But first, a crackling fire, some roasted fish, and bread. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. See, what the ancient David knew about God, the disciples discovered on that morning around the fire during breakfast. That Jesus, no matter what would happen in the decades to come, and they would need Him, and they would need His Holy Spirit, they discover, they experience in that moment, face to face with Jesus, He becomes their provider and their sustainer. And they would need that. And in this personable setting, this intimate, hospitable setting around the campfire over breakfast, the disciples discovered a safe space. Jesus creates for them a safe space. And that setting was perfect because he's got to confront somebody. There is unfinished business left to do with Peter. Jesus has some peacemaking to do with Peter and he provides a gentle, gracious hospitable environment for that. You know, knowing ourselves better is really important if you want to follow Jesus. We can't just be theological and supposedly spiritual and say we want to know God more and that's all we care about and ignore understanding who we are. Peter's situation, and we're going to see it, it shows us that we cannot actually know God better if we don't know ourselves. Both are really important. In verse 15, so breakfast is over and Jesus looks at Peter and says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And here things get awkward. This is is the Peter who in his boldness and his arrogance 
and in his presumption, always was putting himself out above all the other disciples. You remember these things? How earlier, uh, the Last Supper, the, the night of the Passover, he says to Jesus, no, 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 you're not going to wash my feet. I'm not going to let you do that to me. You're too good for me. They may let you, but I'm not letting you wash my feet. And then he said something like, oh, even if everybody deserts you, I'm not going to desert you. I'm going to lay my life down for you. And then trying to defend Jesus later that night by cutting some poor guy's ear off. Peter's always putting himself out there. And now Jesus is essentially saying, do you really love me as more than everybody else? You've been saying it all along. Do you really love me more than these? Don't forget, Peter had denied Jesus. After bragging about how he would die for Jesus, Peter, nobody else, Peter denied that he even knew Jesus three times. And so now Jesus, in the same manner, three times, is asking Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And now Peter, Peter who was unashamedly excited to jump ship in order to get to Jesus is now ashamed and embarrassed. And with his tail between his legs, unable to avoid his denial anymore, he says, exasperated three times, yes, Lord, yes, you know I love you. You know everything. You know I love you. In equal measure to his offense, Jesus three times asks him the question. And three times his grief mounts, his shame mounts. He's aggravated. He's sad. Yes, yes, you know I love you. Do we really have to bring this up? And if you're a Christian, you also know what that's like, right? What it's like to live in your shame because you've let God down. When your lack of faith brings you to shame and embarrassment and self-hate. And that's where Peter is right now. And Jesus goes on to describe to Peter how, yeah, he would lay his life down for Jesus. Decades to come. Now, you might think that Jesus' method here is pretty harsh on Peter, but it's actually not. Alicia Myers, in her commentary on John's Gospel, said that, that one particular sheep needed to be reintegrated into the flock on his way to himself becoming a shepherd. If Peter was going to be a shepherd, he needed to be brought back into the fold. And that's what Jesus is doing. To have overlooked the matter with Peter would have just been to dismiss it. To ignore it, in a sense. And that, that would have maybe given Peter a delightful breakfast, but it would have been to Peter's harm. Carrying that shame for the rest of his life, avoiding to deal with it in his ministry, making every time he had a conflict or people heard about his reputation and what he had done, making excuses for the shame for the rest of his life. But to confront Peter, right, and to respond to Peter with this recommissioning, reinstating, follow me. Just like he had said to all of them in the beginning, follow me in chapter 1. Now he says to Peter once again, after that threefold acknowledgement, yes, yes, I love you, I love you, I love you, Lord. Making Peter live with the shame of what he had said and what he had done. Jesus says, follow me. 
and recommissions him and reinstates him. And that restoration was so important because it gives Peter three things. It gives him forgiveness. Without bringing it up, how is he going to know he's forgiven? It gives Peter assurance that he can live his life and minister to others with the confidence that Jesus has reinstated him. And it gives him something else that is not in the passage, but I want to talk about today. He gives Peter a greater self-awareness. He gives Peter greater self-knowledge by making him go through that very uncomfortable process. And see, now Peter's aware of his own tendencies. He's aware that his tendencies cause harm to people. He is aware that people notice what he is like and what he is capable of doing. Because when Jesus says this to him, all the other disciples are there around the fire. Now Peter is aware. So, in a similar way, my challenge to you today, my invitation to us today is to allow Jesus to better acquaint you with your true self. Not the self that you're trying to portray. But the self you are. The self that Peter was trying to portray was arrogant and bold, it, it looks cool and spiritual to jump out of a boat to get to Jesus. But what his threefold denial of Jesus had taught us, as we, maybe Peter didn't realize it yet, what that threefold denial shows us is that there was fear in Peter's life. That beneath all of that vibrato and all that macho spirituality that we see in Peter throughout all the Gospels, beneath all of that was a frightened man who was afraid to admit that he even knew Jesus when push came to shove. And who knows? There's no way to know. Maybe behind that frightened man was a frightened boy from years before. Who knows? But Jesus doesn't, if Jesus doesn't address the issue, Peter is never forced to look at his true self. But with some fish and bread and a warm fire, Jesus forces Peter to look at the real Peter. And so I'm asking us, that's the invitation we have today, to let Jesus get you better acquainted with your true self, not the one you have been projecting on everybody else and maybe even on yourself. And that is really how we change for the better. Jesus leads us through a pattern of restoration. Maybe it's all at once. Maybe it takes 10 years or three decades. But he leads us through a pattern of restoration. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And the process gets our attention. Jesus is gentle and Jesus is forgiving, but repentance is still a painful thing for us just like it was for Peter. We have to face our sins. We have to, we have to comprehend. You know, Chrissy was saying this earlier to the children. We have to face our sins. We have to comprehend our sin, our faults. Not just our, not just our neutral mistakes, right? Our lapses of reason or forgetfulness, but our moral sins. We have to face them and deal with them until we're angry, until we grieve over how they've impacted other people. We have to face the real us. I have to face the real Brian in the presence of Jesus until I am grieved over my impact on the people in my life. 
That is how I change. We cannot move forward with Jesus unless we know our true selves. The, uh, the, the psychologist David Benner wrote a really good little book. Becky and I have been reading it together this summer, The Gift of Being Yourself. And this is really what he's talking about in this book. And he says, deep knowing of God and deep knowing of self always develop interactively. Doesn't that make sense? When you see Peter interacting with Jesus, Jesus drawing Peter out. And David Benner says that's how we change, through the interaction. He goes on to write, the result is the authentic transformation of the self that is at the core of Christian spirituality. And you may be thinking at this point, well, gee, that sounds terrifying. Interacting with other people about my brokenness? Interacting with other people about my own sin and my shame, about my true story? I'd rather just go to a Bible study and answer questions in a study guide and talk about theology and church history and evangelize people and talk about the cool things our church is going to do. But to be authentic about my true story with other people, this sounds frightening. But until you do it, you're living a lie. You're not being real with people. And in a sense, you're not being real with yourself. Just like Peter was living a lie if it had not been for Jesus confronting his sin. The psychiatrist Kurt Thompson in his book, The Soul of Shame, great book, has helped me tremendously. He writes, in order for me to be liberated from the shame I carry, I need someone to be able to say to me, you're right, you were wrong to have done this. I need to hear that. My behavior was really bad, as bad as I think, if not worse, while simultaneously sensing that the person I am confessing to is not leaving. I just want you to listen. If any of this sounds interesting and you want to write it down, just find me later. I'll give you the quote. You can have it. But listen. Don't get caught up in taking notes. Just listen to that. We need somebody to say, yeah, what you have done really did have a bad influence on me or it really did hurt me. It really was a mess, but I'm not leaving. And that's what, Peter, that's what Jesus does for Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? The undercurrent there is, you denied me three times. Do you remember? Not too proud of that. But then he says, follow me, Peter. Follow me. I'm not leaving you. And that, that is what Jesus will do for you if you face him. Yeah, it really was that bad. You really do have that impact on people. But I'm not leaving you. Denying who you are, denying who we are, we, we cannot grow in knowing ourselves or knowing God. Once again, that other book, David Benner, again, he wrote, until we are willing to accept the unpleasant truths of our existence, we rationalize or deny responsibility for our behavior. Thus, refuse, now he brings it to Peter. Thus, refusing to face and accept his cowardice and fear Peter may, for example, have explained away cowardly acts by focusing on the circumstances. 
Now, you know, think about, think about what Peter would have been like if Jesus didn't have this sit-down with him, this come-to-Jesus moment with Peter. What a lousy apostle Peter would have been. He would have been fiery like always, confrontational like always, maybe a great public speaker, but incorrigible. Like so many of our politicians and frankly so many of our church leaders, somebody with talent, with a stage presence, with a lot of giftedness, but a tyrant. Somebody who is unwilling to receive advice. Somebody who always deflects and explains things away and makes excuses for themselves. He would have been a terrible apostle. Because on his own, by himself, left to himself, he would have buried his shame. The shame of denying his Lord. And you even see that propensity in Peter right afterward when he deflects. He deflects and asks Jesus about John. What about that guy? What about him, Lord? And Jesus essentially says to him, that's none of your business. That's not your story, Peter. You follow me. What a lousy pastor I have been. What a lousy husband and father. Just ask Becky, ask my older kids, ask my last church. The congregation that had to put up with me as a young pastor, ask any of them. And if they're like, what? Just find me and I'll tell you. But I have been a lousy everything so many times in my life by denying the truth about myself in the moment. But you know, a lot of people have been patient with me for decades not leaving when I have confessed my sin to them. That's the key, Kurt Thompson says, is, is Jesus says to us, I know how bad you are, it's worse than you think, but I'm not leaving the room. I'm here to stay. I think we're afraid of confronting ourselves. I think we're afraid of confronting our experiences, especially our past ones. I think we're afraid to confront now, to confront our, our tendencies, the worst in us, and, and to confront our sin and all the things that have shamed us. I think we're afraid of confronting these things. Peter was. You know, Ted Lasso, Ted Lasso quoted Jesus and then put his own spin on it and said, the truth will set you free, but it will piss you off first. <laughs> That's why we're afraid. Because the truth is ugly and it stings and it hurts. And that's why we desperately need for somebody to say, I'm not leaving. I know, and I'm not leaving. So, you know, we remember, you know, the truth will set you free, but it will piss you off first, and we know that, and so we hide our shame. And, and we downplay our sin, and then we never become our true selves. But I think it's because we don't appreciate just how gracious Jesus is. Just how full of grace. Not just truth. Just how full of grace Jesus is. We don't believe it. And so we stay away from Him. Letting Jesus speak the truth to you. You discover His grace in your story. We've been talking about how Jesus enters into your story and you rediscover your story. Okay, well we'll end on this note. You discover his grace in your story as you let him speak the truth to you. How many people that you have deeply hurt cook you breakfast afterward? Well, some of you say, well, my mom, my dad, my wife, my husband. I mean, but that's the point. 
Families are always cooking breakfast for people that hurt them constantly. Right? If you're just my friend, man, and you, you hurt me, I'm probably not making you breakfast anytime soon. But a parent kind of has to. And what, 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 did Jesus, what, did the, what did it say in John chapter 1? To all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus is not leaving because you're family. Jesus will cook you breakfast again and again and again because you're family. And he's saying, I'm not leaving. You're family. And so, just like for Peter, he arranges this safe space where he can be hospitable to you. He gives you this safe environment for you to face your sin and to hear the words, follow me. So that there's no confusion. He's not getting rid of you. He wants you just the same. Follow me. Follow me, Steve. Follow me, Bob. Follow me, Jade. Follow me, Lynette. Follow me, Jesse. Follow me. I know you better than you know yourself. Follow me. I'm not leaving. That's grace. Because you didn't earn that. What we've earned is rejection. Jesus, in that moment, by the fire, had every right to reject Peter. It's grace. And you know, that's the church. It should be the church. In the, whatever the church is, and I, and I mean Deep Run Church, and I mean the church with a capital C, the real church all over the world, what, whatever the church is, in the very least, it has to be a safe space, a hospitable environment where people can face their true selves and nobody else leaves the room. Right? That, that is what the church in the very least has to be. We're all learning who our true selves are and because Jesus is drawing me out in front of all you, you discover the true me and I discover the true you and nobody leaves. That's how we change for the better. That's a safe environment where we discover our true selves, where we retell our true stories in light of the story of Jesus. You know, what, you know it says at the end that, that Jesus did so many things that not, not all, but all the books in the world couldn't contain all the things that he did and said. Well, isn't it great that part of that amazing story that the books of the world cannot contain is how he's working in you? That's, that, you're in that story. He says, follow me. This is, let's make this church a safe space for people to discover their true selves. And not only does Jesus not leave them, but we don't either. Let's pray.